I can't have regret after maybe seeing somebody else do it or thinking, oh, what would it have been like? I was like, I should just open one and it should be called Prick. <laughs> oh, I'm a delusional optimist and I think I could just do anything, really. Just given the challenge, I was like, oh, this would be great. Welcome back to the NatWest Business Show. I'm your host, Angelica Bell, and I am over the moon to have Janelle Leon here with me to share her inspiring business journey. Now, Janelle is the founder of Prick London, the city's first cacti and succulent boutique before it moves solely online. Now, described as a much-needed new face in the world of horticulture passionate advocate of the natural world and a dedicated entrepreneur in every aspect, we couldn't be happier to have her on the podcast. And if you want to hear about building a punchy brand and making waves in a more traditional industry, you are in the right place. So welcome, Janelle. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Now, you have a business with a very interesting name, (laughs) which we'll go into detail more about in a bit. But I always like to start with a confession. Okay, so are you ready to tell the truth? Perhaps. Perhaps. <laughs> Don't worry, it's only a business confession. So I want to hear about a moment of failure or something that went wrong that helped you build your business to where it is now. Something you think, hmm, I wish I'd known that before. Yeah, I think if I'm going to say confession, it's I'm going to share something that not that many people know. So when I registered the company to begin with, it's always traded as prick, but the actual limited company <laughs> Every time I say it, you'll be like, yeah. yeah. Um, I registered the company as Prick Me Baby One More Time Limited and I tr- traded as Prick. Um, so when I went to um, register the company of Companies House, they wouldn't let me register it as Prick Limited because they said it was slightly offensive. They said you can trade as it, but as your company name, it has to be something else. And I went through a multitude of different names, Prick Me. They're like, no. So I was kind of spitballing off the top of my head and I came up with Prick Me Baby one more time. I am a Britney fan. I love Britney. Um, yeah. <laughs> So I was like, perfect. So it's all fun and games. But then when you're actually a legitimate company and you're having to like register your like, you know, your phone line and they're asking you your business name or you're working with suppliers and they're having to make out an invoice to prick me baby one more time, I realized it wasn't too serious. So then I had to change it over to prick cacti and succulents limited. Right. So that was one confession where it was like in the moment it was funny. It was fun and it kind of worked. But then realizing that, the implications of your business name on a long time basis yes and especially yeah obviously working with other businesses you know what that says about the business because lots of people would be like what is it that you do thinking that it's something quite obscure and I'd be like oh catch up there oh makes sense yeah so I think that was one thing that I learned from there where you're like, you do have to think these things through and think about long-term use and how it has repercussions on your like reputation and also with work and with other clients. But this is one of the reasons why your business has done so well. Yeah. It's all about those sort of, those hurdles that you have to overcome that get you to where you are. Now, I think your journey is really interesting because you had a job Mm -hmm. before and you changed and I think you are a great example of that. It's never too late. Yeah. So talk some more about that. Yeah. So I think, first of all, yeah, lots of people do say like, you know, I've got to do this before I'm 30 or like put limits on themselves as to like when they can get things done or they'll look at like other entrepreneurs because I used to listen to lots of different podcasts and I think, oh, they did it because that's how they always were sort of thing. Like they've always been a go-getter. They can do that and I can't do that. But I just like to share my story to just kind of inspire other people because I wasn't one of those people that saw things through or would come up with these great ideas all the time and just do them. I'd have ideas that'd be fleeting and then I'd kind of be like 
oh, but I can't do that. You know, I've got my job, I've got my mortgage, you know, it's not something that I can do. But it basically came to a point where it was like perfect timing, where I'd always dreamt about being a florist. I had this romantic, like, oh, I have a, a shop when I'm 40. I don't know why before, when you're very young, you think 40 is this number where everything's going to be perfect. And I have like a little dog wandering around. And um, I was in a relationship and I was, you know, I had my flat and I was like, we're going to get married, we're going to have children. And then he dumped me. And then I was like, oh, maybe that's not going to happen. And I think it was that point where I was like, okay, I've always constantly been thinking like, let me do all these kind of markers for success in society, you know, go to uni, get the job, find the person, get your house, have a family, be happy. But I was realizing all of those steps kept coming and I wasn't feeling that sense of like fulfillment and happiness. It kind of felt like a check checkbox yeah yeah so I got to a point where I was like actually what about if I just did what I wanted to do right now I was like you know I've always said about this florist but why am I waiting till I'm 40 why don't I just do it now sort of thing and so I started by doing like a part-time course in floristry while still working my nine to five and then I went round to many florists saying I'll literally work for you for free I'll intern just so I can like learn on job and it was like I got so many no's but I finally got one yes which was a family-owned Asian um, florist, Indian florist in Bethel Green. And they were wonderful because they taught me not only like the floristry, but how to run a business. And so it was from there that I got exposure to people coming in and asking for house plants. And it was like, I've just moved to a flat. I'm in a small space. I don't have a garden. I want a house plant. And like, you just had these like really sad little things on the side and really bright plastic pots. They weren't great. Um, and so I also lived in a flat in Bow and I didn't have much space. I was getting all these house plants in and it was getting harder and harder for me to find them. So it was like a mixture of like me doing that, then having my love for house plants. And I was like, it's not flowers. Actually, why don't I just open a cactus shop? Because at that time I was really in love with cacti because they're so loyal. Um, and the only place I could get them from was Lincolnshire. Um, I was driving like four hours to go get them. It was insane. And I was like, they should just be somewhere in London. So I was like Googling. I was like, no, there's no cactus shop at all in the country. And I was like, I should just open one and it should be called Prick. And it was kind of just that kind of light bulb moment. Yeah. And then it was like, oh, that's perfect. And when I told my friends, they're facing it. They're like, no, it's really good. It's like, it's such a good idea. And I think once that started, the seed was planted and I was like, I've got to give this a go. Yeah. Like, this is the thing. Like, I can't have regret after maybe seeing somebody else do it or thinking, oh, what would it have been like? I was like, at this moment, I can just reset. Yeah. So I was like, let me just start afresh. So I literally sold my flat, gave up my job, went away for six months. I was traveling. I was in the desert learning about cacti, like driving from Utah to Arizona. Um, and then I came back and did like extensive research. I like looked for all the cactus people around the country. I'd go to their house, have tea, go to their greenhouse, just talk about plants, joined the British Cactus and Succulent Society. And it was just literally like trying to get as Sponge. much knowledge as yeah literally I was like if I'm gonna do this I need to know as much as I can about them okay Janelle there's been a few things that have come out of that <laughs> so you had sort of like some dramatic life experiences that sort of helped you on your way to where you are with your business yeah so so that's an important I think that's really important because sometimes when we're comfortable we have a job you know I know lots of it my friends are saying it's the comfort they say do you know what I'm just got to pay the mortgage and I'm all right, but I've got this dream because I think dreams are amazing you had this dream yeah and because something negative happened you sort of used that turned it around and be like right I'm not getting any loyalty from the man yeah <laughs> <laughs> only my little plants are going to be true. stick with me so let's get on this road yeah that's exactly how I used to be like 
they've lasted so many relationships that you're still here with me. <laughs> I go away two weeks, I come back, you're still there looking nice. So I was just like, these plants are so loyal. I was like, they they really they really love me. I really need to you know give much more love back to them. And also it was the fact that when I found out about cacti and succulents, they were like all with like private collectors. It was this kind of, we're protecting them from the, the wider public. Always people would say to me, oh yeah, general public, they won't be able to look after them. Yeah. You know, like it's not for them sort of thing, like gatekeeping. And I was like, no, I want to share these wonderful plants with the rest of the world because there's so many people like me before that had no idea that thousands of species of these really unusual, very loyal, hardy plants existed. And I was just like, let's just bring them out there and let people have them in their homes. So you setting up this business was a no-brainer. Yeah. In fact. <laughs> now, there's lots of things that affect people's businesses or how well they do. Now, you write a column for a national newspaper. How did this come about and how did it impact your business? I think one of the main things was my book. So I've got two books I wrote. The first one was called Prick, which is all about cacti and succulents. <laughs> Why are you laughing? It's your name. It's just I looked at your face and I was just like... Right, every so time I say like, it... You think grow up. And then my second book is called Plant, and that's all about all house plants. Um, and it was the editor that picked it up and was like, oh, we thought you would have had a column because you got two books out. And I was like, yeah, you'd think, you know. Um, so it was wonderful that, you know, I wrote these books to try and help, I, like, you know, educate people. That was the thing. I was like, I don't want to just provide these plants for people. I want to give them the skills to be able to take care of them. Lots of people will kill one plant and just be like, oh, I'm not green fingered. I'm rubbish with plants. It's like, I tell people all the time, like, I kill plants all the time, you know, like, if I'm just not really paying attention or I've got a needy one and I haven't watered it for a couple of weeks because I'm quite um, a neglectful parent of plants, um, you know, it happens to us, but we should learn from those experiences. So I think it was always such a big like aim for me to be able to educate the masses. So it was great then when it's like, oh, on a weekly basis, I get to share that knowledge of different plants. So I think it was a mixture of the books also on my Instagram. We have a lot of my photography and I really do focus on like how great they look and like all of their features. So I think it was like that lovely thing that it's the combination of what you're putting out to the world and people seeing it and going, hmm, I like that. And it was quite funny in the store, a guy came in from America and he was like, oh, I've got your book in America. He was like, it was such a clever marketing idea for you to write a book. And I was like, uh-huh. Yeah, like, yep, that's exactly why I did it. Not being the reader. <laughs> As he said it, I was like, yeah, because it's worldwide distribution. It's available in six different languages. And so it does get the brand out oh, there yeah. further than obviously what a storefront or even an online store in the UK can do. So it was like, I realised in that moment, yeah, it was one of those things that I hadn't planned that, but actually it was, it was perfect. So how did the book come about? Because I don't know. It's quite funny that you asked me that because I never at the moment even thought like, no, I was just kind of like... Because some people would say, do you know what? I'm just going to stick with the shop. Yeah. Up the shop, yeah, and not take it on to another level. Yeah, that does seem quite, yeah, like the that's most thing to do. Yeah. Bold. <laughs> I just felt like I am. I must admit that at that time, my level of self belief was very high. Like the level of self self doubt was tiny, tiny. But is that because you came from another? job and you knew you know you had that sort of grounding and before I think, I think it might have been just the fact that I just felt like I had nothing to lose I thought like I'm just gonna give it a go and let's see what happens like I was at a point where I was like you know I felt quite low coming out of the relationship and I was like anything that I do from here is just going up like that's why I just thought you know if I just give everything a chance even if it doesn't work I could go back to working another day. yes you know and I think it's that sense of 
just letting go and being like, let's just give it a go. And I think it was the excitement was driving me. So it was like, you know, I've just opened this shop. It's a newspaper. I was just, I was not expecting it. I was like, it's yeah. a little shop in Dalston. And then now these people want to give me a, a book deal. Like, you know, this sounds fun. Not realizing exactly how hard it is to write a book, but I think it's just, I am, I like to rise to a challenge. Right, Janelle. Yes. I'm going to interrupt things for a bit of trending tape. Okay. okay. We've been looking online at some sort of, you know, statements, things that are, people are talking about at the moment. And I'm going to put them to you and then just see what you think. Is that okay. all right? <laughs> How about this? A weak brand can kill a great idea. Okay. So one that's not strong. So it hasn't got a great identity. Yeah. And so no matter how great the product is, it needs the branding. But I do think, yeah, I feel like that's true because you can, you can transpose it and say like a strong brand can make a rubbish. So what, idea. So your idea, do you think it would still have been successful without the name maybe? No, I think it would have been harder to catch people's eye. I think the name then brought people in. It's that thing that you need to engage. You need to tell a story. You want it to be something more than what it is. And I think that's what a great brand does. It creates more than what you're just seeing in front of you. Okay. Careers should be built on passion, not pay. A hundred percent. Because, And I think most of us find out the hard way that that's true. Because I think we we kind of go the other route like lots of people you know might get into like oh I'm doing this career because I know it's going to give me x you know and then realizing that when I started the shop I took a massive pay cut from what I was earning in the city but the sense of fulfillment I'm just like you can't yeah. put a price on that like, I've had friends who've got big time jobs and like I'm leaving I'm like you what you know because yeah. I'm like no, I can't do this anymore otherwise it's long hours or they feel that like they're being pressured into doing things I don't want to do like no I just need a simple life and they'll just go and do Dog walking. You know, like something really Yeah, just something we just like... And I think it just, it. it just relieves you. Because I remember I was working so hard. I was always stressed. My body was like suffering for it. And then I think when I was just like doing... Even if I was... I mean, I was working really hard running prick. But I was like, I enjoy this. Like, yeah. I love this. I don't mind if I'm up to one in the morning taking photos of these beautiful plants. I'm getting it done and then everybody's able to see them. So it was one of those things that you can push through because the passion's there. I think if the passion's not there, it's hard to, to push through those moments. Amen. Specialising is more important than diversifying. Not always. I don't think I agree with that. I think it depends on what you're in. Like, I mean, I was very niche, like cacti and succulents was very niche. And every week people would ask me for houseplants. And so I did in the end bring in other houseplants that were like low maintenance and that diversity worked, you know. Mm. But um, like maybe you could say about your publishing, you did the book yeah. on cacti, but then you did one on houseplants. Yeah. So I think, I don't feel like all the time you have to stay. And I think with most brands you'll see, they start with one thing, if it's candles, then they're selling homework you know so I think you can build once your brand is strong enough you can diversify but I think maybe that's what it is you have to maybe wait until you've got that strong brand you can't just start bringing in random stuff from the get-go you need to kind of make sure you strengthen that first I made you think of it though didn't yeah you did that. That's <laughs> takes. Uh, thank you so much for your thoughts and if you're watching this podcast on YouTube please do get involved in the comment section as we'd love to know what you think of these trending takes now, you have been described as a much-needed new face in the world of horticulture. Do you think the industry needs a shake-up? It's an interesting question. I believe that 
a lot of gardening and horticulture has been aimed and like the demographic like of the customers are very much older. Um, I feel like for a very long time, like city dwellers, indoor gardening wasn't really seen as a large part of horticulture. And obviously now that's changed when you look at the amount of revenue it's bringing in. Mm. So I feel like kind of the whole of the industry kind of needs to reflect that and it needs to be more inclusive of that. And I see that there are like small changes. You see at, you know, RHS, they have the houseplant studios, mm. which we all love and like being able to be included in that. Um, but I think it, we're still on that journey and it is hard because obviously if your demographic are much older wanting outdoor gardens, it's harder to then say, well, we're actually doing this and the hope that we're going to bring in a younger audience. But I think there's so much wealth of knowledge in the older generation within horticulture that kind of needs to be passed down. So I think there are quite a few of us that are like younger and doing things in a bit of a radical way. And it is like really engaging with other people that either look like me or like maybe live in the city and think, oh, you're now making products and you're thinking and you're talking to me. So I think over time, I think we're going to get there. It's just a bit of a slow journey there. Mm. Have you had people question your business and the way you do things? Oh, yeah. Especially when I opened. When I first opened, imagine in 2016, there was no houseplant stores. Like, that didn't exist. Like, you just had garden centres, florists, and then you had me. And I think there might have been one other houseplant store in the whole of London. And so people used to come in and think it was a gallery. They'd be like, oh, this is nice, you know. And, and I'd be like, oh, they're for sale. And they'd be like, but Why? Like, what what are they? And you'd be like, houseplants. Like, Why do you have them? It's like, ornamental. Like, you know, for your well-being, people would be like, they'll find it very strange. Or I'd have a lot of, especially men, sorry, come in and be like, so do, can you pay the bills with this? Like, you know. Oh, really? Yeah. Like, oh, so how do you eat? I'd be no. Because like, I'm, I'm selling these, you know. And I think there was a point where it got to where I found it was just always, it was never a woman. I'd never had a woman come in and question it. And this guy came in and was like, try and ask me about, you know, what's your USP? Like, ask me if I had a business plan. And I just said to him, would you have asked me this question if I was a man? And he kind of, uh, 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 and he didn't have anything to say. Because I was like, I don't think they're thinking about that. Like, I don't think they would. You had a response at the time. Yeah. So let's talk about the business plan. Did you have one in mind or did you just want it to grow organically? I know, I definitely had a business plan. I'm like quite a planner. Um, I do have two degrees in science, so I'm very much like a foundation of knowledge at all times. So I did like quite a lot of like free business workshops and I was part of like the Stratford Business Hub. I had all the books out from the library, you know, like starting a business for dummies. Like I went through everything and was going down like a tick list of all the things I needed to, to do, like insurance and all those things. And I did a very comprehensive business plan with the financials and trying to like predict obviously it's quite hard when you're starting a shop that's new so the closest thing was a florist I couldn't compare myself to anything else which made it a bit difficult um but then when we opened like I more than like exceeded several times what I had predicted and it was very like I was very like conservative in what I thought I would do um, because it's just everybody loved it. It was just so bizarre that people were like yeah. coming in their drones like, oh, this is the shop we've been waiting for. I was like, oh, it wasn't just me. I was just opening this shop for myself. But like, it's really lovely to know that there were so many people that were like, oh, a plant mecca. Like we've got somewhere that we can go to. We can talk to someone about our plants, get that knowledge as well as enjoy and learn about the plants in the store. So yeah, I definitely always would say like a business plan is so helpful because it allows you to think of all the different things that could happen and like prepare for it so that at least I know I've got to sell x amount of plants or x amount of pots a week 
to be able to, you know, be in the black. So you did a lot of research yourself, but did you have external help as well? I'd always reach out to people. That's one thing. I would go into small businesses and then just ask them. Be like, oh, so would you, you mind yeah. walking? Yeah, I'd be like, I'd just be talking. You know, there was this lovely card shop um, in Roman Road. And I'd ask her loads of stuff like, oh, as a small business owner, like, what? how was your lease? Like, what was your lease like? Because those are the kind of things that aren't in any business course. Like, you know, what type of lease to get? How, like, what are the terms? Those kind of things. And like, it was like my next door neighbour was Sharmadine. So I was able to go like, how was your lease? But I found the place. I was like, it's next door to your shop. And she was like, take it, babe. And like, she gave me loads of advice. So I found like the best knowledge I got was from other founders. And I find that most of us do want to help other people, especially if the the question is specific. Like I do get like essays where it's like, can you just make my business for me? And I'm always like, that journey is what helps you. But I find that most founders, if you've got specific questions like, oh, how did you navigate this? Most of us are just more than happy to help. Janelle, were there any struggles that you personally had to deal with setting up your business so I think that the first one would be like the fact that the business grew so fast um as I touched on before you know I had this business plan I predicted myself and it just surpassed that you know I was having to restock every night because it was you know the demand was so high and I think that can be quite stressful you know growing faster than you realise and you not anticipated, even, yeah, yeah. Not being prepared for that growth, you know. So I had to quickly hire staff, and you know I hadn't ever hired staff before, so I just kind of out of desperation, you just get anyone, and then you realise later on, you know, the things that you should have been asking for, the attributes you need to be looking for. So that was something that definitely from the get go was quite stressful. And then second to that, I got sued, like. You got sued. Yeah, like two months after opening the shop, like I got, um, there was a tattoo shop called Prick. And um, they then took me to high court, went all the way. It took two years of litigation. And I won in the end because I'd done like, I'd registered all my trademarks to begin with. And it's not passing off because we're in different categories. Well, exactly. Yeah, but it was, it took two years out of my life of, you know, all of the fees as well. And then I won, but unfortunately they declared bankruptcy. So I didn't get any of my legal fees paid for. So I then had like 25 grand worth of and that and as a new small business that you don't need that no Not and you're setting up and you're that's stress yeah and imagine that was like two years of stress ending and you feel like yes I've won and then oh actually no didn't feel like I'd won and that really stayed on me for a while like it took me a long while to shake that off because I kept thinking oh what would the business be like now if I hadn't had to go through that and put that through I had to get to a place where I just put it to bed like do you know what I was lucky that I had the grit and gumption to push through because so many times people are like just change the name you know just do and I'm like no like this is something I believe in I know how strong it is to the brand and I know that I did everything right on my side um so that that was really a lot of stress and being able to push through that definitely made me so much stronger like you know now like I wouldn't back down on anything like after going through that I'm like no I know how to push through you've been to the high court (laughs) and won (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness another one that was really difficult for me especially and lots of founders have this we're having to wear all the hats and it's being able to like you know work on the business while being in the business and it's so difficult to do that because you know you've not got that much time um, and also being able to separate yourself like when you're not in it you're able to look at things and make 
decisions to work out what's best for the business, able to strategize. But I found that because I was just so busy working in it, I didn't, I wasn't even doing cash flow. Like literally I wasn't doing KPIs. I wasn't tracking anything. I wasn't making decisions based on data because I was just doing day by day. And it was only when I was able to step back and then look and be like, you know, make those decisions like, oh, actually the shops aren't making us that much money. You know, the corporate like partnerships and all of those things, the gifting, that's what's making us money. You know, why now do we have the shop or like, oh, that's not selling that well. Why do I keep stocking 30 of those? You know, and it was only when I could take that time to step out and I had amazing staff, my lovely Daisy running things that I was able to be like, oh, yeah, no, I've not been running this business well. Like when I think, to be honest, when I started, I was running it more as like a creative project. I wanted to bring this beautiful thing into the world, but then actually being able to learn business strategy and all those things that hadn't been taught in workshops or in books, that then allowed me to become a really good entrepreneur and make decisions that had such a positive impact on the business. Now, speaking about the shop, it's no longer, is it? No. RIP. But it lives on. Yes. Online. What was that like for you? Because obviously, you know, to get the shop, you put so much into it. Yeah. You've got rid of it. What has it meant for your business moving forward? I mean, I, it was so much. I loved having a store, especially on the high road like Kingsham Road. Yeah. Anyone has ever been to Dawson, you know, it's like you could just sit outside, you have a bench, people watch. It was like a TV show. You had so many characters. It was so interesting all the time. Um, but it's a lot of work. You know, having a physical shop is like a constant, obviously it has to be staffed and you've got all the other things that happen. You might have a leak, you know, you're constantly looking after it. And I also then had a second space Shallow Roots, which was in Bethnal Green, I had two of them at once. And it was just so much energy and effort. It was great. But then we got to Brexit and basically overnight, the whole of my business changed because I used to go over to Holland personally myself. I worked with lots of small growers who grew unusual cacti and succulents for me. And I was able to go buy them directly, drive them back to the greenhouse. I did that every three months with my dad in tow. (laughs) Very cute. So we used to have a little like, you know, our cactus hunting trips. And then I couldn't go over. Like I wasn't allowed to go over anymore and buy them directly. So then I had to start using an importer, which then changed the stock because they weren't working with the small growers. And it then put the prices up five times. So I tried and it was just like, do you know what? Selling a small amount, it doesn't work. Like when I then I had to move to doing like from, you know, B2C to B2B. So at least I know I'm selling quantity. Mm. Um, and so I think it got to the point where I was just like, this, the shops, it, it, they're here, they're nice, but it's not making sense anymore. Like I think the world changed so much after the pandemic as well. Like, you know, consumer habits changed. There were so many people on our doorstep that were shopping online instead of coming in store. So we were like, our online like was surpassing our actually shop sales and it had never done that before. So it just got to the point where I was like, I'm just having these here for enjoyment. Like yeah. people still obviously did come in, but it wasn't, it didn't make sense to the business. And I think there's a point, especially as founders, we have to take stock of like the world changing around us. And even in our own personal lives, yeah. like me becoming a parent meant I couldn't be in the shop anymore. You know, that made a difference as well. So I think it was just like taking stock and being like, actually, as much as I love these things, it's not serving me or the business right now. It's time for a change. And it was so painful 
But I think everybody understood. And I think it's then being able to look back and say it was such a success instead of seeing like closure as a failure, which I think is so easy to do, like saying, no, actually, it's just an ending. Like, and it means that now we can open other doors. We've got space to do other things. It was like phase one. Yeah, exactly. Now you're moving into phase two. From forensics to fraud analytics to horticulture. Um, it's been quite a journey. Yes. Do you, when do you think about that? You're like, that's so random. What traits do you think go through all of those jobs that you've had that have helped in every aspect? Um, I think actually it's integrity. I think within like, especially forensic science, you do this whole, like, it's very much about chain of custody. It's about like, you know, everything you do has to meet a certain level. Otherwise you can go to court and they could rip it to part bits you know so you learn that very much so that everything has to be grounded in evidence and everything has to be triple checked and you know even research you know everything has to have like something to prove that you know and then when it comes to like whereas I went into banking so I was in wealth management then I went into fraud and it's the same thing like you have to then have that integrity of your work and I think then coming into creating my own brand what made it so strong was that integrity like if it didn't suit the brand or what we were doing I wasn't going to do it I knew what our voice was I knew what our message was and I wasn't going to just like start I don't know posting about garden roses because you know, that's not yeah. what we do. We're doing indoor plants here. We're, you know, focusing on this and like, and all things kind of aligned with the message and also just my personal style. And I think that's what made the brand so different. When we think of horticulture, especially, it's like usually whimsical. You know, you've got these yes. beautiful floristry stores and like, or like we're looking at these lovely gardens. But like for me, I've always been very much into streetwear. I'm very much like love bold prints. And I was like, I'm going to bring that to the brand so you know the branding is very much very clean very like obviously the name is very punchy so I think that's what's always made it very special so I think it is that sense of yeah integrity like just being able to keep things on that level all yeah. the way through and most businesses as we know work when it's authentic yeah so what has your business given to you that your other jobs didn't oh I mean, complete autonomy. <laughs> I could do anything I like. Yeah. I think that's what's so exciting. You know, like I've always been good at many different things, but not being trained in them. So I've been able to do photography. I've been able to write books. You know, I write every week. I'm able to design products and have them made, like just from my mind, you know, design spaces and have them made or be able to write copy or, you know, interview people. It's just limitless you know do workshops and I think that's like a constant thing that you're always able to learn you're always you don't have to like prove that you can do it you know you can just give it a go and see if it works and and I think that's what's so exciting like in any other job I've done I've usually always got bored after a while like oh okay I've done it now what next I know we just want to keep going with that or we'll promote you and it's kind of still the same thing and it's hard to just say oh actually I fancy doing that it's like oh, but you don't know how to do it you know so I think that's one thing that this like being a founder being an entrepreneur means that if you want to wear all the hats which I know sometimes can get exhausting mm -hmm. um but I think I was able to pick the ones I was good at and really go with them and and get people in delegate all the things that was harder you know that I didn't enjoy out so I think it's being able to like just really 
explore and never really get bored because there's always something new you can be doing or anything you can come up with like oh we designed candles you know put them in our pots and it was like that's clever you know it's being able to do those things and and make the products that aren't out there that people really want so yeah so it makes the business exciting very for you and the consumer yeah. so what a piece of advice would you give your younger self starting out I think it would go back to what I mentioned before, like before I find that I wouldn't do things because out of fear, like, oh, no, I can't do that. Oh, what if it fails? Oh, no. Like, imagine if I was like, oh, no, but if it fails and I lose my house, what would people say? You know, and I think like to tell my younger self that we all feel that, like we all feel that sense of fear and it's about pushing through it. Because like usually when we're so uncomfortable, that's when we like learn the most and we achieve the most in life. And also just putting yourself out there, it becomes like, like, you know, a muscle. Once you exercise that, it gets so much easier because people say to me, like, oh, how do you do all these things? It's like because you do that one thing you're really scared about. You write in the book. Like, I mean, there was times when I was like, oh, no, I can't do this. Really? And then I did it. And once you do it, you're like, oh, like I pushed through that and it came out a success or you can do it and it didn't work. And you'd be like, OK, I'll learn from that and make sure next time. I don't do that. So I think definitely I'd say like we all feel that sense of fear or we don't know what we're doing. We honestly do all feel it no matter how glossy and like, you know, confident it seems on the outside. It's just that you just keep working it and keep pushing through it and just give yourself a chance to just see what you can achieve. Shall we do some rapid fire questions? Go for them. Right. Who is your business inspiration? I would say it's very close to home. I'd say Sharma Dean Reed. Because I remember before I started my business, um, knowing that Sharma had started war and seeing the whole journey from the get-go. And then she had Roman. And I remember us all, so many women being like, if she can do it, we can do it. And I think that's the thing about seeing someone that's like you, especially your age group, same kind of background, doing something successfully and being like, if she can, I can too. So that definitely... What advice would you give your younger self? I would say don't shrink too much. I'd say that's what I think I'd say to my younger self. Like, don't make sure you don't shrink too much. Okay. That's, I, like, I think that's great. Again, going back to authenticity and yeah. just being yourself, loving yourself. What do you most enjoy about owning and running your business? I'll make my business, which I've done now, work around my lifestyle rather than with most jobs, you're having to make your life work around your job. So I think that's the greatest thing of being an entrepreneur, that you can tailor it to work the best way for you. Okay. One thing nobody is talking about in business that they should be. I would say, especially for founders, mental health, like the toll of being a founder and entrepreneur is quite high. Like, for our health um, and I think that more of us need to be talking about that I think there's a lot of like business advice out there but I don't feel like there's tailored like mental health support for founders or talking about how there's so many founders do suffer quite a bit from that toll of that constant stress and like that you know decision fatigue and taking on so much all the time and being responsible for all these salaries and things so I think that's one thing that needs to be spoken about more okay favorite business hack um, an accountant I would say <laughs> I know quite a few people that don't have one I'm like babe what are you doing no don't do that yourself like from the get-go I had an accountant and that's been a lifesaver so yeah helped you sleep at night yeah one tip on how you stay motivated during tough times oh, for, yeah I think it's knowing that it's not forever 
I think that's how I got through the pandemic. I think, well, I think we all did. It's like, this is only going to be a few weeks. I know it's not. It's like a few months. Like it's going to, it's going to come to an end. So I think even when it's tough, just knowing it's going to come to an end. And I think there's like kind of that saying, you know, if you're going into a tunnel, you can't see the next steps ahead. You just know you're getting to the end. So I think it's that thing of just knowing, just reminding yourself, no matter how hard it is now, it will come to an end. There is light at the end of that tunnel. Where can people follow you online to know more about you and your business? Yeah, so it's at PrickLDN and that's on all the different um, socials. And my one is at Janelle Leon and that's on all the socials as well. Listen, thank you so much, Janelle. Thank you. It's been really fascinating hearing your story. And also, I love the idea that it's never too late. If there's something you want to do, you have a dream, it's better just to go for it, isn't it? Yeah. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, thank you. Please don't forget to hit follow and subscribe so you can keep up to date with the latest episodes with more fantastic stories from top talent. And if today's episode has got you thinking about a potential career shift into business, head over to the NatWest website for tools and information that help you take those next steps to success.